everyone, and welcome back to the Ontario Society of Occupational Therapists Leadership in Motion podcast, where we take a deep dive into emerging and established leaders in occupational therapy to learn how they've developed their leadership skills and to share some interesting experiences throughout their career. My name is Victoria Denese, the Communications Project Lead at OSOT, and joining me as my co-host is Marnie Lofsky, OSOT's Manager of Professional Practice. Our guest today is Laura Stanley. Laura completed her Master of Occupational Therapy at Queen's University, graduating in 2014. Since then, she's worked in a variety of mental health roles, ranging from inpatient secure forensic units, outpatient concurrent disorders clinics, and assertive community treatment teams. Currently, she's an occupational therapist with the increasing access to structured psychotherapy program at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Her clinical work consists primarily of providing cognitive behavioral therapy for individuals with mood and anxiety disorders. We had a great conversation with Laura about the initiatives she's taken to promote occupational therapy at CAMH, the strategy she's used as a clinician with five years of experience to demonstrate leadership in her daily life, and stay tuned to hear Laura's elevator pitch she uses to distinguish herself as an occupational therapist to clients. Thanks so much for talking with us today, Laura. Thanks for having me. So I kind of want to start at the very beginning of your occupational therapy journey. So how did you first learn about occupational therapy? So I didn't know what occupational therapy was until probably a year and a half before I started my master's program in occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I graduated from my undergrad at Queen's University in psychology, and I shortly after that went to go volunteer at the Vancouver Paralympic Winter Games. So I was living in Whistler, um, you know, freshly graduated and just enjoying life. And they set me up in the athlete's village. So it wasn't a super glamorous volunteer role, but I had an opportunity to like, I was you know sitting in the room with all the equipment that athletes were checking in and out. I was sitting in the laundry room, watching athletes do their laundry. I would sit at the front desk of the athletes village and just kind of watching the comings and goings of the para athletes. I started to notice a lot of them had like really cool assistive devices and they had equipment. And it was one day when I was chatting with an athlete who was a bilateral upper extremity amputee and he was doing his laundry and he had some assistive devices that he was using to help kind of get his clothes in and out of the machine. And through that discussion, I came to like somehow in that discussion, I came to understand that it was an occupational therapist that he'd worked with Mm -hmm. to kind of get himself back set up after his accident. And I think that was the very first time I'd never heard of it before. And it kind of just sat in my mind for a year while I explored some other career options. And then it kind of came full circle um, with a friend that I was discussing it with like a year later. And that I think is how I first got really interested in it. And what interests you specifically about mental health? I've always found it an area of interest for me. Uh, I majored in psychology in my undergrad degree and I graduated really not thinking that I was going to work in any sort of mental health field. Looking back, that seems a little naive. I don't know why I didn't think that was an area of interest for me. I found through occupational therapy, I went in with a very phys med focus. I thought that occupational therapy was working with kids. I thought it was giving assistive devices and equipment to people. So I had a fairly limited frame of reference for what OT was when I started 
that program. And I then had a placement in mental health and it kind of all fell together. I thought to myself, oh, this is a perfect combination of what I like, what I'm good at, and where there's demand in. I'm curious to know, how do you define a leader in occupational therapy? I think a leader in occupational therapy is a combination of a lot of different traits that aren't unique to occupational therapy. Since I've started working, I've made a really, I think, focused effort to understand the qualities of the people around me that I admire, both from managers, from preceptors, from colleagues. And I try to pull out the things that I notice that is really effective about what they're doing that demonstrates leadership. Some examples, I really appreciate effective communicators. And we talk about that a lot in school, but seeing it in practice, both as someone who can articulate their thoughts effectively, who can be really succinct in how they share information with others, who can communicate effectively with clients and with colleagues and modify their language to kind of cater to their audience is a skill that is easy to talk about and easy to learn about, but it's not as easy in practice. So I really admire when I see that in in leaders and people that I work with. Other things that I think are important, um, leadership skills for occupational therapists are sound decision-making skills and conviction, having confidence in those decisions. And I think that another important leadership quality would be somebody who's able to see the big picture and not get too caught up in the details. Some of my favorite managers and leaders are the ones who trust their decisions in the team that they've chosen and they give their team the autonomy to make decisions for themselves because they're more focused on the big picture than um, getting caught up in the details. In relation to our education, we do a lot on task analysis and breaking down tasks into small component pieces. Um, and you're talking about big picture. So how do those two opposite um, ideas come together? So we learn minute details of things, but we're, as good leaders, expected to look big picture. That is a great point. I think it's important to know the difference between understanding a problem or a situation for its components, but also being able to zoom back and think, you know, is this really important for you know, the bottom line of what I'm getting to? If it's a problem-solving scenario, if it's something that has some sort of outcome that we're working towards, like are these steps important? Can they be delegated? Can other people be contributing to help get to this final piece? I think the process is important to get to that outcome. A good leader would be able to see how all those components come together to create that larger piece that maybe those individual components aren't necessarily as focused in on. So best of both worlds, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And juggling those two is especially, yeah. I think, uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. Any strategies that you've had to kind of make that balance? I think strategies for me, I am learning. And I'm always learning. And it's a constant process. Uh, I try to emulate the qualities that I see in leaders around me that I admire and I'm constantly changing my process, my strategies, what works and what doesn't work always is going to be probably changing as long as my career lasts. In your experience working with even newer OTs than yourself, do you think they have a different outlook on leadership when comparing them to yourself at that same age? 
Um, and if so, does this change your kind of communication and leadership approach to that? The impression I'm getting from students now is they have a better, wider perspective of leadership. I think the schools have been pushing for, you know, emerging role placements and non-traditional OT placements, which has translated into the type of work that new grads are doing. I went into it thinking, okay, I need to get a job with the title occupational therapist. And it was a new concept for me to really push myself outside of that comfort zone. And we were starting to talk about it at the time when I was graduating, you know, look for non-traditional OT roles, look for other roles that don't necessarily have that job title in it, but look for things where you your skills could complement the role. But it was tough. It was really scary as a new grad who had just finally earned those credentials, like I am an occupational therapist, to immediately step outside of that. I'm seeing more and more now OT students and new grads are trying their own thing, launching their own businesses, and it takes a lot of courage. So kudos to that for sure. Do you see any similarities to that nowadays? So OSAD has recently recorded a new grad podcast series, and in it, a group of newly graduated occupational therapists discuss potential uh, roles that they would apply for. Um, some of the suggestions that were made were to apply for roles that don't traditionally call for occupational therapists, but that they bring uh, something to, or that their education prepares them to be able to do the role. Um, some roles ask for different degrees, let's say business, or uh, communication, or education, but that occupational therapists are seeing an avenue for pr promoting themselves as uh, a different profession, taking on those roles. Right? That's so tough. I really commend anyone who has that courage to not only have to defend and explain your role as an OT, but also carving a new space into something completely brand new where maybe they've never seen that before. I love it and I want to see more of that and I love seeing examples of that. So like that kind of stuff gets me really excited as well. There's so much opportunity. And it's very hard for particularly a new grad who's just trying to figure out where their skill sets lay um, to basically blaze a new trail um, for the profession. Uh, you know, when you get more experience, you, you have a little bit more to offer to justify why an OT would be great in a, in a different role. Um, so, you know, looking at some of the work you're doing is identifying different roles that occupational therapists may take within CAMH. People can do that in other roles outside of large organizations and take a chance, take a risk um, to make people aware of what OTs have to offer. That's the big part, making people aware, because I think that can inspire ideas and maybe that little push that it takes for someone who has an idea in the back of their head of what they think is possible. And then when they hear that someone else is doing it or someone else has tried something similar or someone else has just gone on a limb to try something new, that might be that push that it takes to get that OT to try it for themselves. So do you have any ideas as to how OTs can advocate and differentiate themselves to clients specifically? I think it boils down to you just have to be able to nail your elevator pitch. Get really good 
at explaining what you do, why you do it, and make sure the work that you do stays grounded in occupation. I have had so many experiences with clients, with friends, with family. Explaining it in 10 to 15 seconds is truly an art form. Laura, what's your 15 second pitch? I should have seen this coming, shouldn't I? <laughs> All right, here's my pitch. If I'm working with a client, it usually starts something like this. Occupational therapists believe that people are their best and healthiest selves when they're doing the things that are important to them. Oftentimes, illness or disability can get in the way of your ability to engage in those activities. My job as an occupational therapist is to help you get back to doing those activities. How's that? <laughs> What's your pitch? So I start off by describing how we define occupation because most people immediately jump to career, getting someone a job. So I start off by saying we define occupation as all those tasks that you need to do in a day-to-day -day basis. From getting up in the morning and getting dressed to performing your job duties or your school activities and in engaging in all the other activities such as leisure pursuits, going on vacations, getting around. Um, so what I usually say is occupational therapists involve looking at that whole picture. You in every element and every capacity and we look at how you do those occupations on a day-to-day -day basis. We help by preventative measures to help reduce the potential impact an injury or illness may have long-term. We are proactive in some ways. We also react after something has happened to help you get back to doing the things that you need to do and things that you love to do. That's another thing that they don't teach you in school that you'll only learn once you start working is how to define your job really quickly. <laughs> I'm sure everyone now can think of their own elevator pitches. Yeah, start working themselves. on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to focus a little bit more about yourself and kind of through your experience dissect the leadership qualities that you've developed over time and kind of your journey through leadership. Where do you demonstrate leadership in your workplace? It can be formal and informal. So your position or just kind of like the little things that you do in your workplace that shows leadership? I'm a clinician and I do frontline clinical work with clients, but I also have worked to increase the profile of occupational therapists at our hospital. I'm part of a small committee and I'm actually the co-chair of the professional profile committee here at CAMH with the sole intention of raising the profile of occupational therapy. We often joke about how occupational therapists are modest, maybe let's call it. I don't know, would you have another word for it? No, modest is a good word. Um, I think occupational therapists have a lot to contribute, but in terms of uh, wanting to speak up and be at the forefront, um, maybe that's not their first choice. Exactly. <laughs> I've noticed that five years that I've been practicing and when I first came to CAMH, I joined a few subcommittees. I eventually became the co-chair of the Professional Profile Committee, which is really a small group of us who run events. Uh, we run all of the events for our Occupational Therapy Month in October. And last year we launched a newsletter for OTs by OTs, internal to CAMH, 
which also includes some leadership from other departments. So um, the advanced practice clinicians, uh, social workers get it, uh, whoever else is interested is able to subscribe to this newsletter. But the intention is once a month for us to send out updates and really highlight the work that occupational therapists at CAMH have done. The last time I checked, there are about 90 occupational therapists working at CAMH, and we often only know those who work very closely to us. And there are some OTs at CAMH I'm pretty sure I've never met yet. The intention of this newsletter was to kind of show off the work that OTs were doing. We celebrate things like teaching at universities, research that's been published, workshops upcoming or attended, accomplishments or awards won by occupational therapists, as well as other interesting news such as sabbaticals or workshops that we're putting on. Each month, a different occupational therapist who's on the committee writes the newsletter, so it's shared between all of us, but it's been a really good way to highlight the activities within CAMH and the work that OTs do outside of CAMH. Yeah. Sounds like a very rewarding experience, just kind of letting everybody know the value of occupational therapists. Yeah, it's fun to celebrate, yeah. and it's also, I didn't realize... Like, I kind of knew, but I didn't realize how accomplished the occupational therapists at CAMH are. They are doing the most amazing stuff, and it often flies under the radar. Perhaps their team knows about it, or they might share it with their kind of smaller clinical circles. But those things are worth celebrating across the hospital. And I'm glad that the newsletter is one way to do that. And we're still working out the kinks of how do we make sure that we have this longevity to it so that we can continue to put it out each month and make sure that it's well resourced but it's been a really good experience and it's nice to learn more about the other OTs at our hospital. Do you think that this promotion of OT to OTs can also be extended beyond the profession? You mentioned some other professions like social work that receives a newsletter but what about maybe physicians or psychiatrists um, and also what about clients? That is a really good idea. And I think that would probably be a really cool way to, to expand that. And uh, if you have any suggestions of how we can go about doing that, I am all ears. Maybe some of our listeners would have some suggestions and write into OSA with their suggestions. Yes, I would love that. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> how do you identify the leaders in your life in occupational therapy and kind of beyond because, you know, people like your experiences can reflect your leadership skills, not even just in occupational therapy. The leaders in my life are the ones who've made an impact on the way I understand a concept. So thinking back to some of the instructors in my program that made a really big impression on, for example, why I'm working in mental health right now. An example there would be Dr. Terry Krupa was an incredible leader, educator, advocate, and I think she inspired not only me, but a lot of my classmates to move into mental health. Another example would be times in the workplace where I've observed good leadership. So if I have a manager who seems to do a really good job of juggling the difficult tasks of what they are often putting on managers, like a, just so much, such a heavy workload, and managing so many clinicians 
and physicians and allied team members, those are positive impressions that they leave on me that makes me want to understand what it is they do that's so effective and how can I start to do that in my own practice. Everyone has their own hesitations and apprehensions when you're starting something new. So is there a particular skill you've had to develop or improve on over time? And if so, how? I think the skill that I've had to develop over time has to do with challenging my own hesitation and trying to understand if the reason that I am nervous or hesitant about doing something has to do with a self-esteem issue or my doubts and if those are really grounded in reality. That being said, the fact that I do cognitive behavioral therapy for my job, the benefit of that is I'm also practicing those skills constantly. So I've been able to get better at dealing with rejection, dealing with adversity. When things don't go my way, I have gotten better at not personalizing those experiences, which allows me to bounce back a little bit faster. I, I would like to think when things don't go according to plan and, you know, just not to care as much about what other people think. If I, if I think it's a good idea and if other people are on board, like, why not? Let's try it and see what works. And if it doesn't work, that's okay too. Has there been a time when your seemingly small action helped others in the workplace or even just yourself? I don't hold a formal occupational therapy role, leadership role per se, but a lot of the work that I do in addition to my clinical work tends to revolve around highlighting what our profession can do and how we can strive to be better. Uh, again, it's work through the professional profile committee, but we've done things like in collaboration with the CAMH communications team, we did OT social media profiles last year for OT month, and we will highlight the work of different OTs at CAMH in our public facing Instagram account. Another thing we do is um, this past year, probably three months ago, we hosted a leadership panel of occupational therapists who work in formal and informal leadership roles here at CAMH. We had them over the lunch hour just answer questions from audience members, from other OTs who are maybe newer to the profession or newer to CAMH and learn about what their career path looked like. Kind of similar to what this podcast is all about, right? Giving OTs exposure to what leadership looks like when it's not that standard, you know, air quotes, leadership role. And an example of a small action that I took in the past couple of years was probably, I would think, suggesting a speaker or, you know, volunteering to have a workshop idea. Those little things have translated to being really interesting professional development events. An example of a speaker that I suggested just because it was someone that I knew about was Megan Edgelow. Uh, we invited her to come speak at our Grand Rounds last year and she had at the time been developing the occupational therapy trauma intervention framework with Dr. Heidi Cram. Having Megan Edgelow come speak really launched an interest in learning more about how we can work with clients with histories of trauma. So I know you're a few years out of the classroom and you're kind of starting your own clinical experience as an occupational therapist. So 
If you could have input into what OT students learn in the classroom, what's one thing that they should learn but that they may not be actually learning? OT students, while you're in the classroom, are learning really important clinical skills and theoretical skills for practice. Something that is really hard to learn without actually practicing is building rapport with clients. Placements give you a really small window of time to see what that looks like and to see how other OTs build relationships and interact with clients. But to learn your own style and to understand how your personality can match with the service you're providing to work with clients, that takes time. I think I've come to a good place. It still is evolving, but I like to mix a bit of humor in the work that I do with my clients. I like it to be a little bit lighter and feel more conversational with clients and that confidence it took a little bit of a while it took a little while to get to when i started out i was really careful to try to be formal and as the book explained the way i should do things and that's loosened over time as i've gotten a little bit more comfortable with that now my final question is something we ask all of our guest speakers um, to just kind of see a little bit more of a different perspective. So who's inspired you in your leadership journey? It can be an occupational therapy experience or beyond that. So one example of a leader who has inspired me is one of my former preceptors from when I was in school. Gord Unsworth was my preceptor, I think back for my third placement. Uh, he works in mental health and that was my mental health placement. He has made a lot of changes and progression in his career since we worked together. And he's, you know, explored coaching, he's explored leadership, he's changed roles at his hospital. Seeing him take risks, try new things, and step into more challenging roles has been a really good thing to see from me, from someone who's a few years maybe behind what his journey is. And he's been really open and great about staying in touch. So I think that's been, that's been a good example of um, a leader or a mentor to me who's continued to stay a mentor even after we, he's no longer my preceptor. Great. Thanks, Laura, for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Leadership in Motion. Laura had some great insights and perspectives into leadership and occupational therapy and hopefully encouraged everyone to start practicing their own elevator pitch. Don't forget to subscribe to Leadership in Motion and leave a review. Make sure to follow OSOT on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to stay in the know about all things OT in Ontario. Links will be included in the description. The episode of OSOT's new OTs on the Block podcast that Marty mentioned during our conversation with Laura will also be included in the episode description. If you have any emerging or established leaders in occupational therapy you want as a guest for a future episode, email us at osot at osot.on.ca. Until next time, thanks for listening.